This is Garb Zallard on the Toon Groover Radio Podcast, taking you through the flying hour. Today on Toon Groover, we had the very good fortune of speaking with legendary musician Denny Lane of Moody Blues and Paul McCartney in Wings fame. He has also played and toured with the likes of Ginger Baker's Air Force and the recently departed Chuck Berry. Denny will be appearing at the High Dive in Gainesville on Friday, March 31st, along with the Criers in Wild Blue Yonder. Tickets run from $17 to $41. The show is set for an 8 p.m. start with doors opening at 6 p.m. So without any further ado, we welcome Mr. Denny Lane to our show. Denny, you have a new CD coming out. What is it called, and could you tell us something about it? Yeah, it's called Valley of Dreams, and it's, it's really... I'm going to try and put it out on vinyl because it's a concept album. And what it is, is a is an English songwriter's version uh, of American influences. In other words, all the music that I I like from those influenced by in America, the songs are based on those those styles of music. So it's a kind of a you know like a concept album that takes you through the different areas of America and all the different styles of music, it, from from reggae almost in the islands to New Orleans, to New York, to the Midwest, to to the country, to to the West Coast, and all, and all the different styles. So it's really about that. That's why I want to put it out as a concept album, not just as, as downloads, uh, you know, single singles. But uh, anyway, so... A lot of people like it, and I'm gonna. It'll be coming out following the uh, single that I'm putting out on Record Store Day. And the name of the single is? Yeah, the single is called "Meant to Be," and the B-side's called "Over the Horizon." It's a, it's a couple of songs I've written with a friend of mine called Ron Paulman, and we're but they're basically environmentally. Uh, it's an environmental piece that um, I'm tied in with a very famous international underwater artist called Wyland, and um, he's doing the art cover, the sleeve. So we're, we're tied into his charity. or It's, it's, it's the Florida Keys Save the, um, the Underwater Sea Life. So it's, it's all tied in with that, that thing. Cool. Now you obviously know a lot about music history. Who are some of your early musical influences? Well, again, I went. I go back from early days to Django Reinhardt, who's sort of my favorite gypsy guitarist, and into Buddy Holly, Eddie Cochran, mostly people that wrote their own music and wrote their own songs, guitarists, you know, that, of that that sort of style. But then I was into all the old rock and roll, of course, Elvis and Little Richard and, and, and all those people, Chuck Berry. The first tour that Moody Blues ever did was the Chuck Berry tour. And he was kind of my, you know, he was kind of my idol because he wrote all his own music and had his own style and played guitar and sang. So I, got, I get that influence from him. Um, him and Buddy Holly, I would say, the most 
important people as far as that goes to me. Now, when you are on tour with the late, great Chuck Berry, who just passed away a few days ago, although you already had great success with the song Go Now, did you still feel nervous? No, not at all. Actually, he borrowed my amplifier, which was a Gibson Titan amplifier on that tour. And uh, Go Now went to number one on that tour, too. So it was it was good for us to do a nationwide tour with somebody like that, because obviously it was all a good crowd and, you know, everybody went out and bought the single. But no, I wasn't nervous. So it was, you know, I, I don't get nervous with that. I'm I'm inspired by that sort of thing. You know, I love to, I love to work with people I admire. Um, it's more an inspiration than, than to be nervous. I don't go for that one. How would you describe Mr. Barry's talent and personality when you traveled with him from day to day and saw him up close when he was still very much in his prime? What was he like? I mean, he was very nice to me. You know, I know his reputation, and I know the fact that he wants to get paid, and I don't blame him because a lot of those promoters in those days were ripping off the artists. And it's been going on ever since. I don't. I challenge anybody in this business who hasn't been ripped off in some way, you know, either through management or record labels or whatever. You can't keep your eye on the money. And, and at least playing live, you know, you make sure you get paid before you go on. And that he kind of led the field in that. And I admired him for that. And 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 musically again, he was more of a poet than he was, you know, just a a writer of songs, his words were very, very, you know, uh, of the time, but very well put together and very good, um, very good lyricist. And then his music, you know, it was just 12 bar rock and roll, but, you know, he had, he had that, that energy to him. And I liked, I liked his personality a lot. I loved his, his energy. And everybody in the music business from, you know, friends of mine like Keith Richard. Eric Clapton and, and Hendrix were all very influenced by Chuck Berry, without a doubt, you know, and especially the Beatles, of course. So it was, it was a great experience, really. At some point in your career, you saw Hendrix play. Could you talk about that a little bit? After I left the Moody Blues, the, the Jimi Hendrix thing was the last thing that I did uh, as a solo artist before I joined Wing. I mean, Jimmy was a friend. Um, I knew Noel and Mitch very well. And okay. when he came over, Charles Chandler was a friend. So I, I got to know Jimmy right from the early days when he came to England. But I went to see him for the first time perform with Paul. Paul McCartney and I went to see him at the Bag and Nails Club. And then later on, he, he performed at the uh, Savile Theatre, which was owned by the Beatles manager, Diane Epstein. And Paul and John and Peter Asher were in the audience that night. So Paul called me a few months after that because he saw that I was doing something of my own and something original. And that's what he wanted to do. So that's how Wings was formed, really, on the strength of him being at the Jimi Hendrix show. And how did the Wings project with Paul McCartney develop from there? He saw me that night and a few months later called me. Um, I was actually not working with my band at the time because they were 
string players and they were working in an orchestra doing a, a world orchestral tour. And so I was kind of sitting around doing nothing. And he just called me up and said, you want to put a band together? I, and I, about a week later, I, I ended up going to Scotland and met Dennis Sy while on the plane. And um, that's how it started. We stayed up there for a few months and just got it together, you know. I slept in his garage, actually, on a mattress. So it was all, yeah. It was all very, you know, away from the press, and it was all very private and uh, easy to do. Because I knew Paul well. I knew from the Beatles days. You know, the second... We did the second British tour with the Beatles. We already knew them quite well. Danny, could you talk a little bit about the circumstances behind the recording of Band on the Run, which took place in Africa? I understand a couple of band members quit before you guys went out there. Yeah. Well, again, what we wanted to do, Paul and I, were, as songwriters, were very influenced by lots of different styles of music. And um, African music was always big. I think Steve Holly from Wings said it well the other day at the Beatles Fest. He said, British drummers were more influenced by African music, whereas like American drummers were more influenced by Latin American music. And and we we always, and also a friend of mine, Ginger Baker, was did have a studio in, in Lagos, Nigeria, which is one of the reasons we were attracted to it, although we didn't work with Ginger. We worked at the EMI studios out there. The whole point was that we wanted to be influenced by the music. And uh, Ginger basically introduced us to a lot of those people out there. And so we, we had, they had an EMI studio since, you know, Paul was signed to EMI. And we went out to just experiment. I mean, a lot of the equipment wasn't working. It was, a, it was, it was kind of behind the times, you know, the studio yeah. itself. But we took Jeff Emmerich, who recorded a lot of the Beatles stuff and Wings stuff, and we took him with us as an engineer, and, and we pulled it off. But it was just basically just me and Paul. He'd play drums, and I would play, you know, guitar, and then we would just get all the tracks down and then work on them afterwards. But the reason for that was because Henry and, and Dennis Sywell didn't come to, to Lagos, although we'd rehearsed as a band some of these songs, we had to approach them completely differently. And um, that was it. So, you know, we came back. Tony Visconti, who's an old friend of mine, um, turned up and started to work on the um, on the orchestration and, you know, the, the, the basic sort of additions were... were were done by me and Paul, but but the orchestration was was scored out by Tony Visconti, and then it was there. We, there we had the album. You know, it was a very basic, and because I think me and Paul worked well together because of this style of music we grew up on. Uh -huh. We had we had that feel, that automatic feel, you know. And uh, he, I mean, he doesn't class himself as a, as a, you know drummer professional drummer but he has a good feel and he and 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 his, and his simplicity really is what it's all about you know some drummers can be too busy too too many fills do whatever uh, and this is a very easy thing to do with just the two of us putting down the basic backing tracks 
when I was a kid of about 14 or 15 growing up in Connecticut, I remember buying the Back to the Egg album by Wings, and I really liked the song again and again and again. Yeah, well, I know you wrote a number or you co-wrote a number of tunes, and I'm wondering how Paul encouraged you and, you know, and how you also inspired him musically. Yeah. Well, again, as you say, he encouraged me because I had I had written quite a few songs on the first Moody Blues album, and Paul was a fan. He was a big fan of the Moody Blues. They all were. And um, so... I kind of, I left it up to him in Wings more. I didn't really write that much. But he encouraged me. And that, that again and again was one of my songs. that I had two bits and I pieced them together, actually. And it was really? the same with the song on there, on, on uh, Band on the Run album, where I had two songs that, that he encouraged me to piece together, and that was a song called No Words. But, but the Back to the Egg album was really... Those two guys, Lawrence and Steve, were friends of mine, or at least I'd, uh, Steve was a neighbor of mine. He was working with Elton John at the time, and he was a neighbor. He came over to the house. Paul and Linda were there. They got friendly, and suddenly he was in the band. And Lawrence, I met at the TV show where I was doing a David Essex show. He was a guitar player in the band on that show, and I met him there. So... That was how quickly that band came together. And it was a really good album because of that, I think. You know, it, it was uh, it was put together pretty quickly and toured. But unfortunately, Paul had the problem in Japan, and that was the end of that for a while. So that's, uh, that's how that went. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people come up to me and say that they like that album now, which is a nice surprise, actually. And it's a pity that we didn't tour it, but there you go. That's life. <laughs> This is Garth Zallard, and you're listening to the Tune Groover Radio Podcast, featuring Denny Lane of Moody Blues and Paul McCartney in Wingspain. Before we listen to the second half of my interview with this distinguished man of rock and roll royalty, we're going to listen to a bit of this smash hit from Wings, which was co-written by Paul McCartney and Denny Lane, and sold millions of copies in the UK. It's Mull of Kintyre on Tune Groover Radio. Of Kintyre, all mist rolling in from the sea. My desire is always to be on all of Kintyre. Far have I traveled and much have I seen. Desire is always to be 
Now, my wife listens. She's from Brazil, and she had never heard of Molo Kintyre until I, I turned her on to it. And the first time she heard it, she actually cried. So oh. I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering what, what is it? There's some kind of magic about that song, and I can't really put my finger on it. Right. Well, first of all, it's the bagpipes, because bagpipes are very nostalgic, you know that. And and that makes everybody cry because it's sort of a, <laughs> it's a kind of a, a marching style of song, um, or you know, a, a very uh, authentic Scottish sound. And even Billy Connolly, who's you know very 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 skeptical about anybody trying to pretend that they're Scottish or writing songs in Scotland except Scot Scottish people. He even liked that song, and he said to me, you know, he loved that song. And I was really more or less involved in the lyrics more than the actual chorus. It was Paul's chorus, but, you know, it was a very simple song. It had to change key because of the bagpipes coming in. And the fact okay. that it went up to the key in the middle gave it that extra little lift. And it, it, yeah, it does have a very... Um, nostalgic feel to it you know and, it, and and again it was the biggest hit in england ever before they they did the um the the charity record with the bob galdoff thing before that came along it was the biggest ever selling single and um there you go so it was it was really us trying to be scottish because we were in scotland at the time when we wrote it and uh, we were just influenced by the Scottish music, as we always are, like I said about Band on the Run. We were influenced by whatever music was around us, and we would try and write in that vein. So that's how it came about. But I'm glad your wife liked it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really a good test of a song when somebody, you know, from another country, in fact, uh, with different, different cultures, liked right. something then you know you've, you've got a good, you know, you've done the right thing. Yeah, you've struck a universal chord. Yeah, right. Who are some of the newer artists, you know, since the classic rock era that you enjoy? You know, I'm not very good at that kind of thing because I like so many of them. I mean, I am, I'm the sort of person who likes all sorts of music. I like rap. I like everything. Everybody says, oh, it's not the same as it used to be. But there's still a lot of talent out there. I mean, there's, there's kids like Ed Sheeran who's, who's, you know, big because he's a singer-songwriter. He's very, very down-to-earth, very easy listening. You know, all those kind of people. Um, I, I'm a fan of any, any singer-songwriter, really. Richard Marks. I mean, anybody you, you could name. You know, I was into folk music, John Denver, people like that. Dylan, obviously. But but the classic rock, you know, it's always been... Well, I'm very connected to Led Zeppelin because I, I, I have family involved with them. And they're friends of mine. John Bonneman was a huge friend of mine. Uh, grew up in the same town, came to see us when I had my own band, The Diplomats. And he, he used to admire Bev Bevan who was my drummer at the time, and Bev went on to be the drummer in ELO. So, you know, I was always influenced by by friends, really. And as I said, a lot of my friends were, in those days, 
you know, they're big names now, but they weren't then. Uh, Clapton and uh, Bud Stewart and Jeff Beck and the Stones by Jones is a big friend of mine. And, you know, and of course the Beatles. So I was influenced by so many different styles of music, the animals. And then when it comes to now, you know, I don't listen to much as I used to. But uh, but I, I'm into I'm into more uh, ethnic music, you know, like you know African music or Egyptian music, you name it. I'm into ethnic music. I like all different styles from around the world. I'm not so much into what's happening in the popular music department because I get my influences from, like as I said, ethnic stuff. Well, uh, you know, name wise, I don't pick anybody out really. You sung on the Wings song, Spirits of Ancient Egypt. Did you have any part in writing it? I actually didn't write that song. Oh, you didn't? Paul, Paul I, wrote I, it for, he wrote it for me to sing. I think. Like, he'd, like he, he used to do that, um, uh, Wings at the Speed of Sound, was, was basically structured so that everybody in the band could have a song. And that was really Paul's idea. He wanted to take the focus off him more and try and, you know, have everyone be an equal member, which is difficult, of course, because of his popularity, but that was his idea. So he would write a song that would suit a particular member of the band. Similarly, he did that with, with that song for me. He thought that would be a good song for me, my style. I still do it to this day. I mean, I'll be doing it on the show when we come to see you in Gainesville. So, you know, a lot of people like the songs that Paul wrote for me. So I do them. I also do things like Time to Hide, Go Now, and all that stuff. Yeah, but, but yeah, I do whatever I I did in, in Wings, and then I do some of the hits or my version of the hits. I'm not like a tribute band, but I do my own right. version of it. I give people a lot of freedom in the band to jam and to to extend songs and do things like that, you know. It's not it's not like exactly note for note off the records, but uh, it's another version. It's a modern version of it. I like to do that. I guess it would keep things more interesting for for you to have them. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because this is now, and a song stands at the test of time, you know. But you you actually can play it a little bit better than, you know, you've had more experience, you've done more work, you've, and you, you're, you're a better musician in some ways. And so you you tend to put more into the song than, than there was in the original recording, you know. Um, so that's really what it is. And like I said, I like to let the other members of the band put their input in too. Not just copy the record, you know. After all, it's just a song. You can do it any way you want. That's the privilege that you have when you were one of the original first people on the first recordings. You know, you have that. You have that right to do that. Do you enjoy the creative process now as much as you have throughout your whole career? Yes. In fact, probably even more because I'm doing it more now. I mean, you know, in Wings, I was part of the creative process. But after Wings, I've become much more of my own solo artist. So I'm I'm doing more of it. And, yeah, that's the best part of everything, is the creative process. Because there is no, there's no restrictions on that. You can, you can do whatever you want. It's like 
being an artist painting a picture, you paint what the hell you want, you know. And that's the fun of it. And then when you get to perform it, and you get the audience reaction, and then that's another part of it that you really enjoy. Because they're the ones who tell you whether you did a good job or not. <laughs> so <laughs> you're getting immediate reaction to what you've created. And, you know, that's the challenge, really. That's what you try to do. Please please the audience. But you please yourself first, you know. That's <laughs> that's a general thing that you do. You know, the, the fun part or the, the privilege is that you can do that that you're allowed to do that. You have an audience who's used to you doing that and they kind of grow with you and they encourage you to do more. So it's it's a kind of a two-way street and being creative is, is fun. You know, everybody should be creative in whatever job they do. You know, they shouldn't be restricted to just be rules and regulations. They should have that freedom and that I'm lucky to have that freedom, you know, through music. Now, when you tour... Does the touring spark creativity, or is it just so tiring it kind of puts it on a lower ebb? No, it definitely inspires creativity, because the energy that you get from being on tour, just the whole thing of traveling, meeting people, you know, having to raise your game to working with, with an audience, you know, who's there to have a good time. You You can then go in the studio after that, and you're at your best peak, your highest peak. You go in, and you're going to come out with something very similar to what you played live, because live music is really where the fun is, or the energy comes from. If you can get, if you can capture that in the studio, then you've got what we call a hit. But a lot of the old artists who were really good on stage couldn't create that stuff in the studio. You know, it was difficult. So the more you tour, the easier it is to go in the studio. And that's basically what I did with this new single I've got out, because it's coming out on Record Store Day. I used the same band that I used on the road. Not the band you're going to see in Gainesville, by the way. This one's called the Denny Lane Band. I'm working with the Cryers in Gainesville with Steve Holly on drums. But And those are friends of mine for many years. Um, I've always worked with them on the East Coast too. But the original, the band that I use on the West Coast, they're the people on this single. And it was really easy to come off the road and do the tour with them and then go into the studio because I just played them the song and they just put in there what they wanted to put in. So they were allowed to be creative, see. Although it was my song or mine and my partner's song, they they were allowed to put their own bits in there and it really works that way, you know. So and that's the power of being on the road. So you definitely have to do, you have to marry the two things together. It's very important. I'm going to ask you one more question about the musical that you're working on. Can you tell us something about that? Yeah. Well, again, I've had that around for years, and it's an environmental piece. I've always been very into that, you know, saving the planet, obviously. It's what we're all here for. So I'm, and also, you know, I love to travel and go into new uh countries and performing like for example you say he was from brazil i've never been there and i'm really looking forward to doing that next year really or maybe, yeah but but you the more you travel the more influences you get and what this musical is about is basically about all the trouble spots around the world where they're having environmental problems some of which they're solving some of which need to be solved and each song represents a different country 
or a different area where there's a problem. And it's basically, you know, it's a family sort of, uh, like an epic type of story about the northern Eskimo people or Inuit people. They, they tie up with an alien guy who comes and, you know, pretends to be a, a human. And they, they take on this, this sort of task or this quest and they travel the world making music. There's animals involved or species of animals that are on the verge of extinction. There's everything to do with the environment is in the story. But it's basically just 16 songs, you know, uh, with different styles from different parts of the world. So that's that's it. And I performed it with the University of uh, Fredonia, which is up in uh, Buffalo. I f- performed it there last month, and it went really well. I've done it before with, with 12-year-old kids many years ago. And I've never really, never really, until recently, bothered to do anything more with it because uh, but because of the way the world is going now, the way that everyone is learning this in school, that, you know, it's become more relevant, really. So that's it. I'm, I'm concentrating on getting that out there now. And as I said, I did it with the orchestra up there. It was fantastic. We had, we had great singers and great players on it. And I just stood back and I was, I was totally, you know, in admiration of these young kids that, that like to be involved in that sort of thing. And they made it come to life for me again. So that gives you inspiration. And, um, you know, it makes you feel good. That's all there is to it. Because, as I said, everybody pulling together, you know, there's a lot of energy out there. And it makes you, it just makes you feel like you've done the right thing, that's all. So that's my new thing that I'm doing right now in between touring my own music, you know. Well, I, I really look forward to seeing you on March well, 21st. And right. I, I want to I want to thank you for all the music and for making this world a better and happier right. place. You're welcome. Thanks very much. I always love to hear that. I really do. So uh, we'll see you there. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Denny. I'd like to thank Denny Lane for being patient with me in the recording of his interview. At the beginning of the interview, Toon Gruber had some technical difficulties, actually and he was gracious enough to allow me to call him back a half an hour later while he was in New York as I got my technical act together, as if Denny Lane didn't have anything better to do than wait around in the city that never sleeps for the likes of me. Before we go, this is Gargs Allard signing off for another edition of Tune Groover Radio with one of my favorite solo efforts ever by Denny Lane. I could only smile. See ya.
Girl, we've seen our ups and downs. 